Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. We're continuing to cover the two biggest stories in this country, the pandemic and a mass murder. 20 states have announced that they are making plans and preparations to safely restart their economies. The testing must increase even further before we can reopen and restart our normal activities. What is the government doing to improve testing and tracing? Since April 1st, we've shipped approximately 1.2 million N95 respirator masks, 6 million surgical masks, and 8 million nitrile gloves to provinces and territories. There are severe restrictions on the ground in China in terms of how long a plane can actually stay in their airports uh, before having to leave, whether it's full or not. As many countries enter another week with businesses and schools closed, here in Canada, some provincial governments are putting forward plans to reopen. Last week, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe announced that his province would start reopening on May 4th. So what exactly will that look like? Premier Moe joins me now from Regina. Premier Moe, how did you decide that it was time to start preparing and setting dates to reopen the economy in your province? Well, for the we've flattened the curve uh, here in Saskatchewan, uh, to be honest. Uh, over the course of the last uh, two weeks, we've had a very low uh, positive uh, COVID ID uh, identifications test numbers. And uh, I think we're at 27 total over the course of the past week or thereabouts. And so uh, we had uh, discussions with our health department, our Ministry of Health, our Saskatchewan Health Authority, as well as our uh, Chief Medical Health Officer, Dr. Shahab, on exactly what a phased-in approach would look like. And with the numbers that we've been having and the sources, uh, just as importantly, where those infections are coming from, uh, we felt it was time for us to move forward with uh, some reintroduction dates of allowing uh, some of our, our medical services and businesses to reopen, and uh, but allowing some time in between in those phases so that we can ensure we're doing the appropriate testing and contact tracing to address any, any localized or isolated uh, outbreaks that may occur. Can you walk us through when various sectors are reopening? So, for, for example, what reopens first and also when can people start to get a haircut, which is something a lot of folks are wondering. <laughs> sure. I would just maybe preclude in, is uh, we are still addressing uh, some of our higher risk areas like crowd sizes, um, travel um, and, and access into our long term care homes and uh, some of the parameters that the staff are, are working with in our long term care homes to ensure that we're uh, taking care of our most vulnerable in our in our societies. And we are still asking Saskatchewan residents to ensure they are practicing uh, the very best uh, efforts in in physical distancing. But on May the 4th, we are going to open a number of medical services that have, have been closed for some time, dentistry, uh, op- opticians, um, some some of the uh, the medical services where those those businesses and individuals are uh, accustomed to working with personal protection equipment, accustomed to working uh, with patients that may have other uh, other uh, um, virus uh, viral uh, diseases that are communicable as well, like influenza each and every year, for example. On May the nineteenth, uh, then we will move forward with our retail sector. Uh, that allows us a couple of weeks to do our our testing and our contact tracing, and we have a very robust, uh, a very robust capacity in both to ensure that we can address uh, any localized uh, outbreaks that may may occur. Uh, we will wait then after that May eighteenth date when we open up a number of our our our. our a significant amount of our retail sector to uh, do some further testing and and contact tracing and make some assessments at that point if and when we would move forward with phase three. 
Now, Prime Minister Trudeau has said that the return to normal is weeks and weeks away, that it won't be completely normal again, likely until there's a vaccine. I imagine that you probably talked about this with him before you announced it publicly. What did he say? Uh, absolutely. We've been having weekly uh, Council of Federation calls, of which I currently am the chair with all of the other premiers of the territories and provinces, as well as uh, we have been having uh, what is been uh, for the last number of weeks, weekly calls with all of the premiers and the prime minister, the most recent uh, as of this past Friday uh, for a first minister's call, communicating uh, fully uh, and collaborating across the board uh, as premiers and premiers with the prime minister on where we are with our, our specific uh, uh, situation uh, region by region uh, with our our how we're addressing a COVID-19 what the results of that are uh, sharing what is working uh, sharing what is um, just as importantly not working and ensuring that as we begin to reopen up some regions of this country uh, that it is done in uh, in a very collaborative uh, manner and very collaborative nature and doing so with the very best practices that are that are available and have been tried in in other areas. So uh, it's, it's it is a collaborative process. Um, however, uh, reopening uh, or really re easing some of these restrictions that have been put in place uh, will be done in the same way as as they were put in place in the first place uh, by uh, the respective provinces and territories. And it'll be done uh, in, 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 in collaboration with other provinces and territories and done uh, when it is deemed to be safe and driven by public safety in close consultation with each of our chief medical health officers. Uh, you've obviously consulted very closely with experts. It's a phased, careful approach, but there's still some who say they're worried that it's too soon and that as soon as some restrictions start to ease, people will go back to thinking it's okay to have gatherings, to be getting together, and will stop social distancing. Does that concern you too? Uh, well, we have been very, uh, very open in our communication uh, to the people of this province that the reason uh, that we can even have this conversation and the reason that our our case numbers are low is because of the individual efforts of people right across this province in ensuring uh, that they are adhering to the recommendations of our chief medical officer, Dr. Shahab, uh, the efforts that they are making in physical distance and in, in not traveling unnecessarily as this virus uh, will spread as people travel. Um, and and, and the, the credit goes uh, really to the people of the province. The, the normal that we are seeking is what I would say is a new normal. Uh, how we conducted business in our grocery stores, in our retail sector, in our day-to-day -day visits, if you will, with neighbours and family, it's going to be very different for the foreseeable future uh, relative to where we were just two short months ago. And uh, The people of this province uh, have done a very good job of this, and we've asked them under no uncertain terms the success of, of these phases as we go through uh, the phases of turning up the dimmer switch on, on our economy, if you will, not flipping the switch, but turning the dimmer switch up gradually is, uh, is very much uh, on, on each of us as individuals to continue with our efforts um, and hopefully, and, and the goal is to have uh, that collective success that we have had over the course of the last number of weeks. Premier, we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on your province and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mercedes. You have a great day. This is one of the most senseless acts of violence in our province's history. Words cannot or console the families affected by what has transpired over the last 24 hours. To the families of the victims and to those who are still feeling afraid, my heart goes out to you. Know that all Nova Scotians are with you.
It's been one week since the deadliest mass shooting in our country's history. A horrific rampage that killed 22 people and traumatized a community, left with many questions about why and how this happened. That community also forced to mourn apart due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is preventing friends and families from gathering together for funeral services. How are the people in Colchester County, Nova Scotia managing? Joining me now is the MLA for this area, Larry Harrison. Thank you so much for joining us, Larry. Pleasure to be here. I'm sorry that we're speaking to you under these circumstances, but I'm hoping that you can give our viewers an update on how you're doing and how your community is faring. Well, you used the word in the introduction of being a traumatic event, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, this is unprecedented in this province. None of us even conceive of this happening in rural Nova Scotia, but it did. And, uh, we're trying to get all the resources possible together to, uh, to help meet the needs of the folks that have been affected by this. You are also a United Church minister, and as a man of faith, you're used to being able to comfort those who are grieving. How difficult is this for people who have not only had this tragedy, but now have the compounding, compounding factor of not being able to come together in person to grieve? Yes. Yeah. I have talked to some of the grief counselors, and uh, they're trying to set up ways to uh, to to ease the non-contact. It is very difficult. I mean, that's how I operate: was walking into a home under these circumstances, giving a hug, sitting down, holding a hand, and talk. Well, we we can't do that. Uh, but we do have very competent grief counselors who are, will be finding ways as the needs arise uh, to help deal with this, either by, well, virtual service tonight and, uh, and Facebook. There are other ways in which it can happen, and, and uh, they will find. What questions are people in the community asking and, and looking for answers to? Well, of course, the whole thing is starting to open up now. I mean, people were in shock for the first few days, but, but now... That element of shock is going, and all these feelings now are starting to surface with, uh, with, with the community as a whole, certainly with families and friends and, and, and others. How could it happen? How did it happen? Why did it happen? How did people deal with it? There are so many questions now that are starting to arise. Uh, I just got finished looking to the RCMP doing their press conference. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the events that happened during that 12-hour period, just absolutely horrendous. There are some who are looking at the RCMP's response, and, and in particular the fact <clears throat> that that emergency alert wasn't sent. Is that something that concerns you? Uh, no, because I really want to believe that the RCMP... Uh, made their decisions on the information that they had at that particular time. And I really can't second-guess that. Um, but what I am worried about, though, all these questions are surfacing. And, and I'm, some, I'm a little bit afraid that some of the energy that needs to be put into the healing process for the friends, families, the first responders, and RCMP... Um, well, it, it may hurt that energy a wee bit, and we need it.
When you first heard about what was unfolding, and now that you've had a chance to step back and reflect on it, and also, again, as, as a man of faith, how do you make sense of this kind of a horrific tragedy? I really, I, I really can't. I, I go to bed at night, and I just keep thinking of these 22 people that lost their lives just in a, just in a second. They had hopes and dreams. They had a whole life ahead of them gone. And when I get finished thinking about those people, then I start thinking about the families and the friends that are going to be months, years getting over this trauma. Um, the only thing I can say is I, I, and I hope all the people in the community are going to put their best selves forward because we need our best selves forward in order to help do the healing for the situation. Okay, it is so horrific. Can you describe for me a little bit about what your community was like before this? I mean, we always hear uh, quiet, nobody expects it, but when it happens to you, suddenly it's reality. And I know this this was such a tightly knit and close community. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. I love rural Nova Scotia. And, and people actually move here and like the lifestyle because it has beauty to it. It is serene. And people come here actually for safety as well because they don't deal with the stuff that usually happens in a city. And all of that now has been put in question. And I'm not sure how long it's going to take for us to get that 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 sense of serenity and safety back. It's going to take some time. Larry, we are so sorry for your community's loss. Our condolences from all of us here at the West Block and at Global News. Our hearts go out to you. Thank you for joining us to talk about your community today, and we are thinking of all of you. I appreciate the opportunity, and thank you very much for your concern. Everyone desperately needs PPE and medical supplies, and that just means not only is the competition to get this stuff fierce, but the competition to get this stuff out of China and into your own country is really, really fierce as well. That was Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland on the challenge of getting critical equipment from China to Canada. The issue of equipment coming from China is one that NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says NATO countries should be thinking about more and stop depending on China so much for that critical personal protective equipment as well as medications and time to start making it here in NATO countries. While the alliance is used to dealing with military enemies, COVID-19 has been another story. What kind of security threats does it present? Joining me now is NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Secretary General. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start by asking you about an experience that your country had, and that was with the horrific shooting in Norway. You were prime minister at that time. 77 people, I believe, killed in that shooting. Canada has just experienced our worst mass shooting in our history. What advice do you have for Canada, and how did your country change after that? First of all, I would like to express my condolences to all those who lost their loved ones in the uh, shooting uh, we saw a few days ago in Canada. 
Uh, I think what we have seen uh, in Canada, in Norway and many other places is that violence comes in many different forms. But it's also always about innocent people lo losing their lives. And, uh, and I think that at least one of the lessons we learned in Norway is that the fact that we stand together uh, in the aftermath, in the wake of such a terrible uh, incident, uh, that, that mobilizes uh, uh, comfort, support to those who really uh, were affected. Uh, sir, the NATO alliance is facing really an unprecedented threat when it comes to coronavirus. This is uh, not your standard adversary. You can't, uh, for example, gather intelligence on their meetings and their plans. It's invisible. It hides among us. How is NATO dealing with this very different kind of security threat? Well, NATO does is that we provide support uh, to NATO allies, and we see also that the military across the alliance is, is uh, essential in providing support to the civilian efforts uh, 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 fighting or combating the coronavirus. This is a health crisis. Uh, we see uh, health workers on the front line, and I would like to commend them because they do a very important uh, job every day. But I also recognize and, and welcome the fact that uh, uh, military capabilities, military personnel uh, provide uh, uh, support uh, from, any, from everything from uh, controlling borders to, uh, to, uh, to uh, setting up field hospitals uh, to, to disinfecting public spaces uh, and also deploying different kind of uh, uh, military um, medical capabilities. So uh, it, it shows that the military uh, provides a kind of surge capacity which helps the civilian society dealing with the health crisis. You've talked about your concerns when it comes to China and NATO countries relying too much on that country for things like personal protective equipment and medical supplies. Do you believe that that's a security threat, a national security threat to NATO nations? I believe that uh, the COVID-19 crisis reminds us of the importance of resilience, uh, the importance of that we are able to, uh, to, uh, to provide necessary equipment, uh, uh, protective equipment, medicines uh, in times of crisis. And uh, I don't believe that every nation can be self-sufficient or produce all kinds of medicines and, and equipment themselves. But I think we as NATO allies have to look into uh, issues like stocks. Do we have enough stocks uh, uh, to deal with this kind of crisis? Are we too dependent on imports from uh, uh, countries uh, what say, outside the alliance? Uh, so one of the lessons we have to learn, some of the homework we have to do after this crisis is to look into uh, yeah, uh, how to be uh, less dependent on uh, uh, imports uh, on, uh, of these kind of essential equipment dealing with uh, this kind of health crisis. Have you seen examples of, uh, I guess, NATO adversaries or, or just nations perhaps who aren't that friendly to NATO nations trying to take advantage of the situation security-wise when it comes to COVID-19? I think the m most serious thing we have seen so far is different attempts uh, of, uh, of uh, what I call disinformation, uh, propaganda, using this situation to try to divide us uh, and to undermine the, the, the cohesion, the, 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 the solidarity within the alliance. So we have seen, you know, extreme uh, or very, as I say, uh, different attempts to, to portray the coronavirus as something totally different from what it is and also making NATO allies responsible 
uh, for the virus. That's absolutely wrong. Uh, and, uh, and we have to respond to that. And I believe that the best uh, way to counter propaganda is not propaganda, and the best way to counter disinformation is, is, is actually to, 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 to provide facts. Uh, and, uh, and I believe that the truth will, in the long run, prevail. And I believe that journalists, free and independent press, is perhaps the best weapon we have in countering disinformation and propaganda. You've called on countries like Canada to spend more on defense. With all the spending on coronavirus that NATO countries are having to do, are you concerned that coming out of this, not only will countries not meet that 2% GDP, but in fact will start potentially slashing their defense budgets? I think the challenge we are faced with is that uh, the coronavirus is a serious threat and we need to mobilize against it as we now do as, uh, as uh, countries and allies all over the world. Uh, uh, but at the same time, the uh, COVID-19 crisis does not mean that the other threats and challenges we see disappear. Uh, we don't have the luxury of either addressing uh, security threats or health threats. We need to cope with uh, both of them at the same time. Uh, a more assertive Russia uh, being responsible for aggressive actions against uh, uh, the Ukraine or support of the Assad regime in Syria uh, or the, the shift in the global balance of power with the rise of China or terrorism, these threats and challenges, they don't disappear because of the COVID-19 crisis. So the reality is that we need to be able to both invest in health, in health but also invest in our uh, military security. Mr. Secretary General, that's all the time we have, but we truly appreciate you joining us. I know this is a very busy time for you. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson. We'll be back here again next week.